Welcome back to the Keaton Late Podcast. It's a whiskey podcast. Thank you. This is Jake, your host, live from Chicago, Illinois, in my basement, also known as the International Studios of Key in the Lake. Wow. What a time it's been. What a life we've lived through over the last few weeks of St. Patrick's Day, South by Southwest, uh, St. Patrick's Day Part 2 in Chicago, the whole entire week of St. Patrick's Day. Also coming up this Sunday, the Shamrock Shuffle. So I'm sure you're going to be sponsoring something for that, Callum. No, I don't think so. Um, But thank God the St. Pat's uh, adventure is over. Um, That was two weeks of my life that I didn't think I was going to make it through. Mm -hmm. Um, And it got to the end that I actually had to drive the last four days of it because I just didn't have it in me to... To drink? To drink any more Jameson. So you're like, hey, if I drive, I can't drink. That was it. You just say, someone says, do you want a shot of Jameson? You just hold up the keys, give them a wee rattle. And I get away with it. I think you're professional at this point. It's probably a sad thing that I have to take the car, but... It's the life that we lead. The it life, is the life, the that, life that we have chosen to live is, we, hey, sell booze, walk into bars every night, hang out in said bar, and you leave with a belly full of something. Maybe croquettes from Haleo if you're lucky. Oh, that sounds delicious. Hmm. They were delicious. Oh. <laughs> Our guest has a really great choice. <laughs> He's what you call a critic. <laughs> Fine with his words. Um, and back to the podcast for like third time, fourth time? Uh, third time. Third time. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Last uh, appearance was <laughs> at the debauchery of Bitter Pops for the 200 episode, <laughs> where uh, we didn't consume any alcohol that night whatsoever, and we're on our P's and Q's the entire time, and Callum didn't bring any weirdos to that recording either. <laughs> <laughs> a classic. Well, anyway, our guest, Mr. Stephen Dragoon. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure hanging out with you, fine gentlemen. We have an exciting one today. We do. We do yeah. we, we're also really energetic right now after a large lunch at Twisted Spoke. We overdid it at lunch, ladies and gentlemen. The gumbo, the was, gumbo. The gumbo was worth it, though. It was, the gumbo is worth sure. it. It's Is it a shareable? I don't know. As, well, we made it shareable. Yeah, we made it happen, and it was worth it. Um, <laughs> I'm glad I also made it to my own house because my wife was confused if I was coming along with you guys to record the podcast today. Lola was very happy to see us. Though. Lola's always very happy to see anybody. She be she was chasing a fly around the house for three hours the other day, so she's happy to see anybody. <laughs> and I'm not kidding or exaggerating. Um, but yeah, we are... I don't know. Are, are we still a whiskey podcast? I mean, the the one of the things I was thinking about earlier on is that this is going to be an exciting one because so many people are going to recognize these names mm-hmm. and recognize the details behind what we're going to be tasting today. Because it has so much to do with whiskey, but right. we're not actually tasting whiskey today. It's true, and like, even a lot of the variations and conversations I had with myself in this basement while looking at this wall behind me, <laughs> recording a podcast by myself, because our guests are always so... Uh, Flaky. I was going to say they're actually really good at keeping the schedules, <laughs> sarcastically, <laughs> but <laughs> the opposite of... But um, yeah, it's not always just about whiskey. I mean, I think it's the, uh, the emphasis of this podcast, but... Lustau, sherry in general, plays a huge part inside of the whiskey world and not just in Scotland, where we probably are most known for sherry being involved with whiskey, but all parts of the world now using sherry barrels to age or finish their whiskeys inside of. And when Stephen, you were first on last summer, was mm, that? Yeah. Was that last summer? 
Yeah, that's hard I can't to believe. Yeah. I know. We, we, which we also had a big dinner before we came and recorded. <laughs> I guess it's the trend with us um, over at Mama Delia, I believe, that night. Oh, uh, yeah. Was that yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. We um, saw Graham that night. A lot of people showed oh, yeah. up that night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Randomly walked by. And that was nice. <laughs> that's right. I forgot about that. Um, I think this is one that we've been looking forward to, though, ever since that yeah. we first we did, had. Did we even won. have Sherry that night? No, we just no, talked. We yeah, it. you're more about you. Yeah, and we're yeah. like, we don't really care much about you. It's more about the Sherry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, I'm here to make up for that first one. Yeah, yeah so today we're going to indulge um, or you know, just get, kind of go right into drinking sherry and talking about the history of the company and how these differentiate from one another where, you know, I think if you're a whiskey consumer and someone who doesn't drink a lot of wine, someone who doesn't drink sherry at all, think of it in the sense of bourbon, rye, single malts, in the sense of, hey, like there's always different categories to branch off of inside of the entire family that is whiskey. Is that a good place to start? No, absolutely. And I think it's one of the hallmarks uh, of the sherry category is, is the amount of styles, the amount of variation we have. Uh, arguably the most diverse you know, category out there, ranging from we're going to taste five sherries today. Uh, the first one, less than one gram of sugar per liter, you know, arguably the driest wine on the planet. And we're going to go through three more dry wines, and then we're going to finish with the Muscatel, which is 200 grams a liter. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, much sweeter. And uh, there's one even beyond that, which is the PX, which we all know and love. I decided to go with Muscatel today just because I feel like it doesn't get enough play, and it's probably my favorite sweet cherry just because it's sweet but not too sweet, or at least for me. Uh, so I really wanted to showcase that along with the standard dry varieties. Yeah, and I know Muscatel is becoming more and more involved in the whiskey world. Uh, one of my favorite Segamore expressions is Muscatel. I don't know if this is knowledge, public knowledge, but I've, I've heard there's a Woodenville Muscatel coming out soon. Yes, I've heard this as well. So um, excited to try that. Yeah. Based on already just enjoying their core spirits. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to that. They're making some good stuff. Well, so where should we start? We have five bottles in front of us. Well, let's start. Uh, we'll go driest to sweetest is how I usually like to go. Uh, I usually start off with uh, the biologically aged wine. So either a Fino or a Manzanilla. In this case, this is a Manzanilla Posada. Posada is a term we use for uh, essentially determining the age of the floor. This is essentially as uh, long of uh, as long as this wine can be aged before it starts to turn. Uh, you know, the biologically aged wines age under a layer of yeast their entire lifetime. Uh, typically, most finos and manzanillas are you know typically four or five years old, uh, average age. You know, we always have to use average age with sherry due to it being blended with the Solera system. Um, the Manzanilla Posada, this one is seven years, and that's essentially as old as it can get before the yeast starts to die naturally on its own. The yeast is a living organism. Uh, you know, it, it does float to the top, and it seals the wine shut to, you know, keep, uh, you know, getting oxygen because it's consumed all the oxygen in the wine. But even as it's floating on top, eventually it has to die. So this is essentially as far as this wine can go. Uh, before they start to notice, oh, the yeast is dying, we better bottle it before it turns into an Amontillado, which we'll be trying next. Huh. Uh, so with this, uh, and this is one from our Almasanista series, so uh, you know, one of our finer selections. Uh, we have a whole range of Almasanista wines, really paying homage to where we came from. As a company, we started off uh, very small, humble beginnings in 1896. Uh, we were known as an Almasanista at the time, and Almasanista is a sherry producer who either doesn't have the means to, uh, you know, produce enough to sell outside of the sherry region, or they just simply don't want to deal with people like me. Uh, you know, they just want to 
keep it local and, and stay true to themselves. Uh, so we started off as an almacenista, and then by 1950, we transitioned into being an exporter, which uh, the exporters are the only ones allowed to sell outside of the Sherry Triangle. So all the big houses, you know, Gonzalez Baez, Valdespino, uh, Barbadillo, were probably like fourth in line as mm-hmm. far as production uh, goes, which a lot of people don't realize. I think it's because we have such a big... Uh, you know, foothold in, you know, the on-premise. Most people think we're a lot bigger than we are, but we're actually like fourth back as far as production goes. Emery, you mentioned that the first time you were on, Cal and I are both very surprised to hear that. Yeah, and every time I tell that to people, they're like, really? Like, it's everywhere. I'm like, yeah, we're we're very blessed and, and you know, very honored to be everywhere. But in actuality, we, we are, you know, medium small sized as far as, you know, how much we're putting out each year. And I kind of just, I think, to start from the beginning and with Sherry and everything like that, uh, so people might not understand, could you go into a little bit more of the Solera system? I know sure, obviously absolutely. it's a term being used a lot more in the whiskey industry too, but I think to get the whole gravitas of what the Solera system has done, obviously for creating Sherry, but now has transitions over into the whiskey market. Yeah, well, and it's important to know that uh, the what I'm going to tell you now is like the standard, but if you go to Spain and you go to all these bodegas, you realize everyone has their own way of doing their Solera system, uh, which is fascinating to me. I always thought it was, you know, three rows of barrels, which is typically how you see it. Yeah. Um, but if you go to Bodegas Tradition, they only do old sherries. They have seven, eight rows Soleras. Mm. Um, so, you know, please keep in mind that what I'm about to explain is, you know, typically how you see it, but it's not always the case. So, so the Solera system it was created because it's a very wonderful way of creating a very consistent and stable product. It's a fractional blending system. And so the way it works typically is you have three rows of barrels that are stacked on top of one another. The uh, row on the bottom is called the Solera. This is the oldest wine. And then in the middle, we have the first Criadera. The row on top would be the second Criadera. And if you had more rows, it'd be the third, the fourth, the fifth, and so on. And so the way it works is the cellar master, whenever he or she feels the Solera row is ready to be bottled, they suck out a third of each of the barrels on the bottom row, the Solera row, that goes into a big blending tank, gets blended together, and is bottled. Then they suck out a third from all the um, <clears throat> barrels in the first Criadera row, the middle row. That gets blended together and then replenishes the Solera row. And then they take out a third from the top row, the second Criadera row of each of the barrels, blend that together. That replenishes the first Criadera, the middle row. And then the top row is replenished with fresh sherry. So again, it's this never-ending fractional blending system. Uh, which creates a a very consistent and stable product. That being said, we always have to use average age uh, in in sherry or anything that uses a Solera system Hmm. uh, because we're doing fractional blending. And, uh, you know, a lot of times the Soleras are very old, you know, I would say, you know, 50 to 100 years old, if not older. Uh, So even though that this Fino or this Manzanilla we're about to taste is an average age of seven years, I've seen these barrels and they're 100 years old. (laughs) Um, They're disgusting looking. They have things growing all over them. I mean, really gross, but it's also very magical at the same time because it's extremely rustic. Um, But there's 100-year-old wine in this glass. So I think that's my favorite thing about the Solaris system Mm -hmm. is... You know, well, we put an average age on it, but really the wines is as old as the oldest barrel. In this case, you know, 100 years. When you're batching um, together a batch of this, would you take the vats from all three to blend that together to make it? Or how how does that operate with the vatting part of it? 
When you take, so you take a row from the from the top row and or you, you, so you take a third out of each of the barrels on the bottom row. Yeah. And blend that together. Okay. And then that gets bottled. Okay. Gotcha. And are these all like five five hundred liter yeah. sherry butts? Yeah. So yeah, sherry cask much larger than a standard whiskey cask. Uh, five hundred liters, actually six hundred liters. They're yeah. filled to five hundred. Uh, in the case of uh, we need the headspace for the, the, the yeast, yeast to grow, right. or in the case of the oxidative wines, they leave that for air, oxygen to Im, you know like impact your, the wine. You're all Lorosos and such. Right, right. right. Uh, so we always fill them up to 500 liters uh, just to leave a little bit of headspace. Hmm. Very cool. And is there are there any are there any sort of Spanish sherry houses or Spanish wine houses, I suppose, that are using like pipons that are like, you know humongous saleras and it's just one system yeah no i've definitely seen larger barrels um uh, el maestro sierra has this barrel you could walk through it's so big and it's an old i think it's a px barrel uh it's obviously just a one barrel salera but because you can hold so much liquid they, they probably just empty a third out at a time and bottle it and then replenish it with a third um, but yeah, you, you do see, you know, some, uh, barrels that are bigger, mm-hmm. uh, smaller, you know, from time to time, but typically it's the standard 600 liter American oak cask. And it's important to note that, you know, uh, Jake alluded to so many whiskeys being finished in sherry casks. 99.5% of the time, these barrels are not the Solera barrels. We, mm-hmm. most houses do not give these barrels away. Uh, typically what they do is they'll take new casks, season them with sherry for six months or a year or however long, you know, the other, you know, buying party wants. And we ship off those new casks with some sherry in it uh, so they can use those barrels. But we very, very rarely give away the Solera barrels. Um, we try to use them as much as we can. If it's leaking, uh, you know, we'll empty it out. We'll put in a new stave. Mm-hmm. Um, all the sherry barrels are painted black. That's to help us spot leaks. Uh, you know, we will go to whatever length we can to keep using the barrels because they've been seasoned for so long that these barrels don't impart any wood. All the color you're seeing, uh, you know, in the sherries is from oxygen. Hmm. The, the color has been bleached out of the wood for decades. Yeah, yeah, right, right. 40, yeah, 50 years ago. Exactly. Probably, yeah. So, um, you know, we want to retain these barrels for that reason. But also on the opposite side of the coin, whiskey producers want barrels that have that woody flavor. Yeah. They, they don't want a barrel that tastes just like sherry. They want the sherry notes, but they also want that woodiness. Mm-hmm. So it kind of works out best for both parties, uh, you know, that we season these new casks and, you know, ship them off to Jameson or, or whoever for, you know, secondary agents. Are those cast wine casts or were they, you guys buy them from somewhere else and then season them? Yeah. We're typically through like a Cooper and okay. we'll season them. Yeah. So it could be even the ex bourbon barrels or something. They're typically new casts. Okay. Yeah. Okay. New American Oak. They oh. should, to, to help spot leaks, they should really speak to Chicago because they're great at like dyeing, you know, liquids, different colors. Um, <laughs> as we just saw for the last two weeks with that and, bright green river that we've had. That's his natural baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I I was actually hearing this that it's like a plumber's um it's like the 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 thing that they use to dye the river is from plumber, the plumber's union. Yeah. And it's a dye that they put in the water and um it's so that plumbers can know if the water or the liquid that they've dyed it with, if it comes out green, it's full of contaminants. And that's why it goes so green with the Chicago River. <laughs> oh, no. And I was just like, if that's true, that's terrifying. Know. It's, it's possibly. Possible. It's what, interesting with... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say one thing that I've noticed immediately with this 
is that on the nose, it is so sweet. Mm-hmm. It's it's like this green apple, beautiful yep. like citrus sweetness, but then the, doesn't the, taste like that at all. No, the, it's a, that yeastiness is on the nose too, the tail end, and then yeah. that, that flavor is what it really comes through as. Yeah, and I, I think that's a hallmark for all the dry sherries, especially yeah. the oxidative ones uh, that we're going to try next. You, you smell it and you're like, oh, this smells like a Madeira, like toffee yeah. and yeah. caramel. And you get that on the palate, but it's not sweet. It's still very, very dry. So it kind of plays this mind game with you, with your senses. You, you feel like you're getting ready to drink something much sweeter than it actually is. Hmm. There's those, um, the hard uh, sweets that like, you know, I don't know if you guys got them here, but like they're like rock almost, but you suck on them. They're like sour apples. Yeah, we have um, version of those. Yeah, like back, so back home, you'd get a sour apple, and it was, um, and you know, you'd, you'd suck on it, and that's the flavor that I would get on the nose. Hmm. But then tasting it, completely different. Almost tastes, yeah, it's so dry, right? I wasn't expecting. Yeah, it. it's kind of like the sour apple, the caramel suckers we used to have. Yeah, but, yeah. minus the caramel, but that kind of uh, that flavor, I guess, that profile to it. Um, but super yeasty, still at the same time. I think going back to. Uh, the Solera system, which is now, like I said, kind of come over into the whiskey world and been very popularized is when you're talking about the barrels not being actually sent off anywhere. This made me think of our, uh, our Solera cast at Star Ward, how we just started using them as second fill barrels for some of our single barrels. And we actually used it with wheat whiskey. Oh. Yeah. And I, I didn't know we were actually even using them for any other purpose uh, other than our Solera cast. So it's kind of see cool to see how that's transitioning out there. Cause we're, it's more of an homage to Solera. What we do, we do a, a giant vat. So like, you know, it's a stainless steel, not a fodor, but it's, it's in the same principle of it. But it's all about using these ex-sherry barrels from Australian sherry casts. Um, Apera, Apera, if you will. I know. I still want to try this Apera. Uh, I might have some upstairs. Oh, uh, um, okay. Or we can run over to Benny's and buy a nice cheap bottle of Yolumba. Okay. I'm sure there are some delicious Australian Aperas, but... I've, not known to you. Yeah. <laughs> there are definitely ones out there. But I'm their sure. barrels are delicious for aging whiskey inside of. So um, that's a positive there. Uh, I know it's kind of like a. I, I, where, what it's been explained to me is kind of like a table wine, if you will. But um, I know, like, we always had cheap Italian red wine at my grandparents' house. They're Italian. So it's always just like a giant jug of. A, a Pinot that's you know cost five dollars. Carlo so. Rossi. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. When I, finest when I lived in um, when I lived in France in 2014, I was broke as hell. Um, and I remember because I'd spent we got an Erasmus grant for the year, and I'd spent almost all of it when I was Erasmus. in Spain because I was on the Razmataz. And um, I remember when I moved to Lyon, uh, I didn't have a lot of money, and we would do every night if we were going out. We would go down to this little corner shop close to the where I lived, the student residences, and like I mean, I maybe had my budget was maybe seven hundred euros a month, six hundred euros a month, including my rent. So I was poor, and I would go down to this corner shop, and they used to have two liter plastic bottles, olive oil plastic bottles, full of wine, mm-hmm. like rosé wine, like that kind of wine. It was two euros fifty for two liters of wine. Wow. Yeah. And now you drink well, you try to drink that. And we used to add like different things to it. We'd add like, you know, juices and everything like that. But that's probably what an apera. That's probably close to an apera flavor. Maybe. I mean, I don't want to speak against the Australians, but <laughs> it was. It might be. It, that was when I learned that alcohol truly is poison. Like it, the right. the hangover from one of those was uh, was special. It is interesting how in other cultures, because in Portugal, you'll you'll be sitting in a restaurant or a bar, 
having lunch in the middle of the afternoon, and then someone walks in, a construction worker, with a, a water bottle, and they just give it to the bartender, fill it up with wine, and give it back to the person. <laughs> and it doesn't look like much cash is exchanged in that this process. This is why things take longer than you do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah it's funny because I remember Brittany and I were on a trip there and went on like a boat trip one day. And we were like the only ones not drinking. We were both kind of under the weather too. And our uh, host and the skipper of the boat was like making fun of us for like not drinking as he's like – crushing a beer you know driving us around <laughs> 50 people yeah, in the, yeah. under his responsibility he's like nah. yeah finding water like having a giant bottle of water is like you're just drinking water like there's beer here I'm like, yes, there is it's also 11 a.m so um no it's funny just how culture, civilized how, cultures collide but yeah it's, it, and it's interesting in that aspect too how the culture of sherry is making its way obviously through scotland and into other parts of the world when it comes to whiskey yeah yeah it's uh we're living in a the golden age of sherry right now it's a it's a very fun time to be working with sherry and other fortified wines too um you know we're really starting to see some interesting things that even 20 years ago you couldn't get your hands on due to distribution uh so we're lucky that we have so many options and you know if you've ever been to total wine or Benny's, it's like sensory overload there's so many sherry options these the days port, yeah it's like yeah. wow god don't even know half of these things how did the sherry in the port confusion come together they're the same tasting profiles i think it's because uh at least here in america our understanding of sherry is very you know pigeonholed we think oh sherry it's like port because you know regionality maybe well it's because when um the british sacked spain uh cadiz in the late 1400s a lot of the stuff that they were, uh, sorry, uh, 1600s. Spain reconquered the homeland in the late 1400s from the Moors. The Moors yeah. um, in the 1600s, when uh, England sacked Cadiz, they were sending the sweet stuff back home, right. uh, back to England. And so obviously because American culture comes from the UK, that translated over as, oh, well, Sherry's like port. Um, and it, yes, it can be. Um, the best well-known sherry on the on the planet is Harvey's Bristol Cream. Oh, that's the my grandmother's had a bottle of that on my shelf for you know thirty years. Used it, to make cakes with it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, so I think you know that's part of it is because Harvey's Bristol Cream is you know what most people think of when, when you say sherry, but in actuality, ninety-five percent of sherry production are the dry wines. So even though sherry can function like a port or a Madeira. As far as sugar content goes, most of it is dry, less than 10 grams of sugar per liter dry. It's so funny, very dry. It's funny because typically when I think of sherry, I would think of, you know, the PXs of the world, Oloroso, like, and I also think of the Spanish call it empalagar, and it's like when you get that sweet kind of like knot at the back of your mm. throat because what you're drinking is so sweet. And it's like sugary almost. And that's what I think of. But it's funny to hear that 95% of yeah. them aren't. Yeah, They're aren't not going to give you that. Yeah. And that one, like, that's, I would call that like a sessioning cherry, right? You could drink loads oh, of that. Oh, yeah. And not get sick of it. All day long. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially this one, I, I, because it's aged a bit longer, I feel you get some of these interesting, like... Funky or no it's funky, funky yeah. like apple yeah. juice, but without the, the sugar. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really interesting. Yeah, it um, definitely is. And how do they... The meticulous note taking that must be in documentation to know the average age in each barrel, for the or for the whole batch is gotta be immense. Yeah, I mean, you really need to know, you know, exactly how old the barrels are, uh, you know, when you pulled, how much did you pull, how many times a year, you, you know, you're pulling out of these casks. Hmm. 
So yeah, I, I mean, there is an overall, uh, you know, formula you can use, but that formula is worthless mm. if you don't know the, uh, the parameters. <laughs> oh, have you gotten into any of that when you go visit there? Um, any of the actual making of it? No, I mean, I've been to the vineyards and, you know, I, I've, you know, had it straight from the cask, but haven't really done much hands-on as far as, you know, seeing the production. It's usually the the before and the after. I think mostly because, you know, all the magic happens over time. Yeah. You know, yeah. like whiskey, it's like, well, we're really not doing anything crazy. You know, we're making wine. You know, that's not hard. Everyone makes wine. We add a little alcohol to it. Uh, you know, four or five. <laughs> yeah, depending on which wine. Uh, you know, for the, the first one we had, we fortify that up to fifteen percent. Hmm. Um, in that, the yeast can't survive above sixteen percent alcohol. So most finos or manzanillas are, you know, um, fortified up to 15%. And it goes up over time, you know, if there's a little bit of loss, you know, to the angel share. Thank um, God the glasses are small. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and then in the case of the dry, uh, the oxidative wines, uh, like we're about to dig into this Amontillado, uh, because it starts off as a fino, uh, it's fortified to 15%. And then we fortify it a second time. That kills the yeast because the alcohol is now up to 17%, okay. and then the wine starts to oxidize, and then uh, is bottled at 18.5% because, unlike the Fino and the Manzanilla, the Amontillado is not protected by the floor for half of its life, so you are losing some to evaporation, uh, which you don't get in the Fino and the Manzanilla. Can you explain the oxidation process? I think most people probably be confused by that. Sure. So uh, oxidation really just means the wines being impacted by the presence of air. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, this Amontillado we're drinking, it's uh, an even split. It starts off as a fino for four years. We fortify it a second time. Uh, the yeast dies and then it begins to oxidize because the yeast is no longer protecting the wine. Mm. Uh, so oxygen's, you know, in impacting the wine all the color you see is is from oxidation uh from the oxygen all the interesting you know nutty and uh you know is it crazy to think that there's like almost a tannins note there I was gonna uh, say, yeah, yeah definitely yeah. like yeah. there's almost like you know the first one i didn't get that at all no. i got that it was definitely dry i definitely got that whereas with this one there is something where it's like it's it's Suck, like almost sucking the saliva out like do you mm. know what I mean so it's like drying up my mouth yeah, yeah, yeah and the tannins that bitter and it's very very different from the first one which is incredible oh, right you know yeah, especially since you know it's essentially the first one just letting it you know spoil if you will or you know uh be impacted by the oxygen but yeah radically different flavor profile you still get some of that salinity from its time as a pheno but now you're definitely getting those nutty notes, notes of like dark fruits are starting to, you know, plums and raisins are starting to, you know, come into the palate. Um, yeah, it's it's really a great expression to, you know, see the best of both worlds. How do they, how do they oxidize it? How do they let the air inside to the wine? Uh, well, I mean, they have that headspace built in. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's there. And, uh, you know, just that headspace. Okay. So just a natural... Uh, you know, barrels breaking down over the years yeah. and having that air go through there. Okay. Mm -hmm. huh. And what determines the naming processes? Like, obviously, I'm sure everybody's heard of Oloroso and, and Pedro Jimenez. She has. She has. Well, Lola, Lola was agreeing with us. Big, big fan of Oloroso. Um, but, you know, for example, like Amontillado, Palo Cortado, like where, 
Yeah. So, um, well, we'll start off with fino. Uh, I believe it comes from you know fine. Very delicate, which, you know, of course, the fino. Manzanilla is just a fino uh, aged in a different town. That's the only difference between a fino and a manzanilla. So uh, exact same production process. It's really the only difference is a manzanilla has to be aged in San Lucar, and a fino can be aged in Jerez or El Puerto de Santa Maria. Um, Amontillado is kind of a throwback to the wines of Montilla, which is a region just outside of the Sherry Triangle. Uh, so that's how Amontillado came about. It's like, oh, this wine tastes like the wines from Montilla, Amontillado. Hmm. Palo Cortado, um, is, the translation means uh, half cut. Or, um, it, essentially, it's not on this bottle, but if you go to you know, the sherry houses or look at uh, you know, some of the other bottles we have here, you'll notice that there are symbols on the bottle. Mm-hmm. And we put these symbols on the barrels to denote what the wine is going to be. And so in the case of Palo Cortado, it looks like a, a slanted cross, but really what it is is it's a Fino symbol that they X out because <laughs> um, nowadays this isn't really true. Uh, Palo Cortado is very much engineered, just like an Amontillado. But pre-Consejo Regulador, pre-1935, pre-regulations, Palo Cortado was this wine that was it just happened on its own. For whatever reason, the cellar master, he or she, well, at the time, <laughs> probably he, uh, he's going around tasting the barrels. He gets to a barrel for whatever reason, the floor is dying. Mm. It could be because, you know, back in the day, there were different types of grapes you could use, the, you know, different types of woods. You know, whatever the reason is, there's wood rot, there's a high acid content in the grapes that they picked. For whatever reason, the floor is dying. We can't let it become a fino, so we don't want to waste it. So we X out the barrel, we remove that barrel, and we throw it in with the Palo Cortado lot, and it it turns into an oxidative wine. Hmm. So it's very much like an Amontillado. Typically, though, Palo Cortados, you know, spend about one year under the floor. And in this case, uh, the one we're getting ready to try... The Palo Cortado Peninsula uh, is an average age of 12 years, one year under the floor, and 11 years oxidizing. Mm. So it's it's lives somewhere in between an Amontillado and an Oloroso, but closer to the Oloroso end of the spectrum. And, I mean, I always go back and forth between what's my favorite, uh, Amontillado or Palo Cortado. I, it's probably Palo Cortado. It's just so, so nice. And everything goes through Solera system, right? Everything yeah. does, except vintage sherries. That, that would be the one exception where uh, we have, a I don't know, four or five different ones that are, you know, from a particular year. Uh, they're, maybe, you know, they're not blended together. It's in, you know, just a handful of casks. The uh, the vintage sherries have to be overseen by the Consejo, so there's like a special seal that goes on them, and right. the Consejo is the only one that can open them up and, and check on them. Um, but w- the ones that we make are sweet Olorosos, which I, they're really interesting because typically with o- Oloroso, we do a full fermentation to get the sugar content down to you know less than 10 grams per liter. But in, in this case, with the sweet Oloroso, w- we produce it the same way we would produce the Muscatel or PX, and that is a partial fermentation, keeping those residual sugars left over. Mm. And so what you get is you, you get the nice, fine cleanliness of the Palomino grape but then on top of that, you get, you know, the residual sugar. So mm-hmm. um, there's some of my favorite sweet cherries. They're hard to come by, but anytime I'm presenting them, I'm going ham because they're just so delicious. <laughs> Are they virgin cast they go into initially? Um, or does it not really matter? I'd imagine they're not virgin casks. Hmm. They're probably using 
again, they're, they're probably going to want to use an older cask for, you know, not, you know, contributing to any sort of color or flavor disparities. Um, so yeah, they're probably using old casks for the vintage cherries. It's really interesting to see how that would work inside of the sugars. If there's any left inside of the wood from those older casks, yeah, how they interact then with the wine. Yeah. That's a good point. Huh. I haven't really thought about it. How long are they in the cask for then as a vintage? Um, most of them are, you know, avores, so probably 20 years or a v, um, a VOS. A yeah. VOS is 20. How do we get our VORS hands on those barrels? Is, uh, <laughs> you know, 30. Um, but yeah, typically those are older wines and, you know, very small production. And you, and to taste one, you need to be in the, the consejo circle, basically. Yeah. You, you need to know someone. I'm, I'm a good person to know for that. <laughs> yeah. We knew that. We knew that already. <laughs> Um, so what are we trying now for a third one? Uh, so this is the Palo Cortado Peninsula. So uh, one year under the floor and then 11 years oxidizing. So you should still get that salinity, but it should be you know very slight. It should definitely be more about the nuts and the dark fruits. Um, and it's interesting. It's only a half a degree of separation. This is 19% ABV uh, versus 18 and a half with the Amontillado. Um, but I, be, you would never know that that's nineteen percent. No, no, super smooth. It's like it tastes a lot smoother than the previous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very round, and uh, it's going to be even more noticeable when we move to the Oloroso because that's at twenty percent, mm, and the Oloroso it's sweeter, it's sweeter mm. but it, to me, it's also much hotter. Like even on the nose, you're like, oh, I can smell the twenty percent. You don't get that with the Palo Cortado, no. and I think it's that one year aging oh. under the floor that really helps round out those edges. Because that's really the only difference between. Is that because it's cooler, or? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I think the two reasons or two things that separate a Palo Cortado from an Oloroso, obviously one is not under the floor versus uh, one that is for about a year or so. But also uh, in sherry production, there are different presses for the grapes. Um, the Fino, Manzanilla, Amontillado, and Palo Cortado all use first press, so very free-run juice. Um, you know, the skins are you know barely broken. The seeds aren't broken. We're essentially just trying to use the highest quality juice possible. The Oloroso uses a second press, so now we're getting the skins are starting to break up a bit. The pits are starting to break up a bit as well. So it's much more you know phenol rich mm. than you know the the first press juice. And so I think that's another reason why the Oloroso, even though it's 19% versus 20%, the Oloroso just drinks and smells a lot hotter because I think the second press, you know, adds to that. Do our Palo Cotado bo- uh, barrels sought after for barrel aging for other spirits? No, I mean, I would love to see it. I, would, yeah, I was just going to say, like, that, a whiskey, I mean, yeah, I think, would, I think there are some. There okay. are some, but they're not. I know Jewers not, has one. That, yes. that fig and date, like the nuttiness to it, as you were t- uh, talking about, oh, man, it's just they, delicious. They do, like, a, I think Jewers or Bacardi does a does one that's called a double-double or something, and mm. I think it has Palo Cortado. Yeah. But what I was going to say was, first of all, I'm so glad we did this because, yeah, like, this it's funny, I've been talking about these sherries for the last seven years I, I just gonna say like i mean yeah how much of our lives have been built around something we don't yeah and you try every day and try, try every month you know yeah, try yeah. multiple times a year even and it's funny because we did a tasting recently um at yeah, the please. single malt whiskey society and oh, nice. we were like struggling to episode, kind of identify episode, episode two, six, 215 
and we're so, but sometimes we're struggling to identify yeah. sherry yeah but i feel like just doing this tasting i'm already like oh that's right. what that flavor is because sometimes or i typically with whiskey i really do identify citrus fruit and mm-hmm. citrus mm-hmm. flavor with bourbon barrels but seeing these i'm getting a lot of citrus on all of them yeah, yeah you know which is absolutely. insane like especially the the manzanilla um the first one that we did from the san lucar like that one it it smelled like apples green apple yep. yeah and i never thought that that was uh i never thought that, that was really something that was you know imparted from a sherry flavor um you know i i've always considered it like we were just talking like nuts and the figs right yeah, yep. yeah. but that's only because that's that's we're using the, the Oloroso. Yeah, Oloroso. Right. yeah, that's what well, you're we have in our glass right now, yeah. and all those flavors and those compounds are coming and right at you. So much like a darker fruit, right? right? But like I've underestimated it because I, you know, the first few, the first couple actually were much more like of that citrus lighter, refreshing yeah. flavor. For the Pelicortado is kind of a bridge, almost like yeah, to those. Ab- absolutely, yeah. It's a bridge between the Amontillado and the Oloroso, oh. leaning much more towards the Oloroso. Hmm. Have you ever consulted with distilleries about sherry barrels to use for aging? Not distilleries. I did help uh, Brooklyn Brewery launch a, a beer aged in our sherry cask. Which, Never heard of them. Uh, yeah, I know. Who are they? Um, <laughs> Take which, that, Goose Island. <laughs> which, yeah. Which we're turned a, out. We're actually a Brooklyn Brewery family here <laughs> in the Hookie household. We prefer the well, summer ale to anything. Fun, funnily enough, um, I would rather one of our other favorite beers, the Champagne of Beers. Ah, mm. uh, yes. Um, so I was just speaking to... I'm actually a Lone Star guy now. Oh, get <laughs> off. Um, I was just speaking to a guy yesterday or two days ago now, Bryce, and he's um, he's one of the, the co-founders of Codigo. Oh. And look at the color on that. Oh, my yeah. Lord. Um, so he's one of the co-founders of Codigo. Before he moved over to Codigo, he uh, spent some time as the High Life brand ambassador. Mm. Yeah. So the, my dream job, literally. When <laughs> it's so funny you say that because that's what I said. To him. I was like, I know a guy that really wants to speak to you. <laughs> so when they did, Just kidding, the, Dave. I love my job. <laughs> but when they did the when they did the rebrand for the champagne of beers, it was him that launched it. Oh wow! Yeah, and I was like, man, can you hook us up? Like, can you sell yeah. us out with that? He's the founder of Codigo. Yeah, he's the founder of Codigo. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, he should. Yeah. I know. So I said to him, I was like, hey. Come on, the boys are here. All right? you, we, if, we're if, your biggest support. If you can make our dream come true of having High Life sponsor this podcast, <laughs> do you know what? I, do you know what I forgot to ask him about the spaghetti? Should have. I should have remembered. Just for all of you people that, as summer is approaching, as we have six inches of snow crawling through Chicago, um, <laughs> if you haven't had a spaghetti, yeah, it, wow, this is the time to start drinking them. Just uh, take a High Life bottle, has to be a glass bottle, and drink about an ounce or two out of it. Get some Aperol. Pour about quarter of an ounce, about three quarters of an ounce to an ounce inside of that neck. Drop a little lemon juice in there, and you got yourself a little spaghetti. It's the best summer cocktail on the planet. We've tried remaking them with other beers. Nah, it's <laughs> just spritz eat your heart out. Yes, yes. It's, it's the beer spritz. I love that. Look, the this is the summer of the spritzies, man. I can feel it. It's already it's already starting to go that way. Gin spritzies and things like that. Yeah. People are going crazy. We did four cocktails uh, sponsoring a house down in Australia. Or, no, not in Australia. Austin. House down in Austin. An Australian Austin, house. An Australian house down in Austin for South by. And we, we had four cocktails on the menu, Spritz being one of them. That thing went through at least a thousand because I had a thousand koalas for the koala straws. Wow. And, yeah. And like that was in four days. Wow. Yeah. So Impressive. It's already begun. Yeah. It has begun. I, I think there's definitely, and it's funny, we were talking a little bit about Europe earlier, but there's definitely this thing where like – 
Europe kind of leads the way, I think, on a lot of drinking culture mm. and what it is that we're drinking, cocktails, all that kind of thing. And I really, really see this massive tendency in Europe of late to go towards more of like a lighter ABV rather than like yeah. the 40s and the 50s percent. Yeah. Instead, we're going to 30 and sometimes even 20, 22, 24% and it spritzes, you know? And I think the Aperol spritz thing yeah. has really started to take off here. But then even looking at like gin spritzes and things like that where you're reducing the overall alcohol content, you know, things like martinis and all that sort of thing are kind of uh, fading away almost in Europe. People want to drink more, but they don't want to be absolutely gutted right, while yeah. they're doing it. You know? The three martini lunch, right. you know, is over. Well, or at least can we bring now. it back? Well, in Europe it's over. <laughs> in, yeah. I don't know. I think it's in its boom here. <laughs> it's, it's interesting though because it's further conver- a larger conversation that we've had a lot, I think us three, about how I, I don't understand NAs, why you'd pay $15 for a cocktail. Why are we not making just less ABV cocktails? Mm. It's a, a smaller amount inside of there so people can drink more, pay a little less, and stay at the bar longer and not be a fool. Yeah. but Well, I, I walk in a fool sober, so it's hard for me. I can be drinking any size. There's a lot of things that are hard for you. Yes, this is true. Like walking. This is true. Yeah. A straight line. You hear that, Lula? (laughs) Just harassed all the way around. Um, What about this one, Steve? So uh, we're finishing off with the Muscatel Mm. Annalyn. Looks syrupy. Yes, it is. I decided to go with this because I feel like Muscatel always gets overlooked for cream or PX. Cream is a little bit drier, usually around 125 grams residual sugar. PX is, by law, has to be at least 400 grams of sugar per liter. Muscatel has to be at least 200. And so for me, it's like, it's sweet, but it's like, it's not too sweet. I can oh, still drink to it. this. Oh, has oh. a really good balance to it. It does, but it's also the only sherry that uses the Muscatel grape. Uh, all the dry wines use exclusively Palomino. And um, the Pedro Jimenez sherry, the PX sherry uses obviously Pedro Jimenez grapes. And then cream sherry is uh, typically a blend of Oloroso and PX. So a blend of Palomino and PX grapes. Okay. So this is the only one that uses this grape. And as you you probably know, the the Muscatel grape is much more floral, much bright, more jammy. Uh, Instead of like raisin juice that I get with the uh, PX I get more, you know, raspberry, jam, uh, you know, brighter fruit notes with the muscatel. So I wanted to bring it just because it doesn't get enough play. And to be honest, it's my favorite sweet You cherry. can taste the grape. Mm-hmm. Like, the, you can feel the skin of the grape while drinking this. Definitely. It, 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 it's funny how not only have we gone up in sugar content, but we've gone up in that mouthfeel as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. Progressively. Like, when we got to the Oloroso, I was like, wow, there's so much mouthfeel. Like, it's really viscous. It's like licking on a baseball mitt. Yeah. Like the nose of it, you're just like, oh, leather, salt, um, a little bit like a cedariness to it as well, but like just dusty. And then you drink it, and that sweetness comes through, and it just enriches your entire palate. Yeah, definitely. I get, uh, I don't want to. It's almost like a Worcester sauce. Like, for me, I get Welch's grape juice with this. Oh, mm. it's like mm-hmm. the elevated Welch's. That sugar, mm. yeah, yeah. Like, it's a, yeah. Mm. That that's the that's yeah. the one that's super purple. Eh? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and they do the sweeties as well. Yeah. And there's so many sherries we have, or so many whiskeys we have that are finished in sherry cast that have that familiar taste to it. That I always say, like, I get like a high seed juicy content to it, and I don't mean that in a negative right. way. Right. No. It's, it's just a note that you pull out, and right. it's like that juiciness and that almost like silkiness you get to a drink where it, instead of being dry, it's a very, I guess, for lack of a better term, wet yeah. um, whiskey. It doesn't dry your mouth out. and just kind of adds a lot more flavor profile to it. 
Ooh, ah, this is delicious. Yeah, it's so good. Is are muscatel barrels hard to get? The production isn't as large, so okay. yeah, um, the barrels are harder to come by. Um, but you, I mean, you can still find them. Yeah, no, I, remember, I think I was having a conversation with Brett from Sagamore about how the rarity of the barrels one time about because their their muscatel is amazing. It's a fantastic whiskey. I believe they're still. I think I've tried that one. I think I, I, it's sold out. Been you're selling out for years. It's one of their uh, LTOs. But if you live in Chicago, I believe there's still some left at Franklin Room. So if you want to go there and say hi to Peter and have some delicious whiskey that's second or, or not. He's a busy boy these days, especially with the the SMWS on yeah. Mondays, you know? Yeah, yeah. Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. Very uh, cool. Just did the uh, the tasting panel this past week for them. So oh, their pick, right? Yeah, so the three of the three of the next American releases will be decided by the American members of Scotch Malt Whiskey oh, Society. Cool. Yeah, so they're touring around the country going to various clubs of inside of their club um, from the American chapters and tasting out six whiskeys and three of those based on the rating system they have will be chosen by the American audience. What did you put as the name? Because you get to do some name thing. Yeah, right? we got we to pick a name for each one, give a rating and tasting notes. Even the tasting notes will be on the bottle by the American t- um, members. So nice. pretty cool. And That's then the, cool. if you, if you, every bottle they have is a name to it. Um, so if your name gets chosen, you get a, you get a free case of that bottle. Yeah. Nice oh, little wow. six bottle deal there. Oh, yeah. That's I great. would say the one that I had the best name for, if you're a used fan, the band, the used from the emo days of punk rock and roll was there's one that had this very identifiable Sharpie, ink cartridge field to it i can't remember it was a space that i can't remember which distillery it was and it was all over the nose but then when you tasted it it was like spicy and peppery like you biting into a pepper like a, a seed of a pepper um and just like filled out with like these delicious floral notes to it as well but i called it the taste of ink but i'm not sure <laughs> if the panel back in scotland will understand what i'm talking about maybe they will Who knows? also no one else had that note other than matt and i ah, <laughs> so, nice. <laughs> we're like oh it's like sharpie and everyone's like Hmm. Matt, Matt from Volume 39. Yeah. Oh, okay. Very, very good guy. Yeah. Uh, once upon a time was over at uh, Spiaggio, I think, right? Yeah. Um, in RPM or Gibson's? Uh, I think it's Gibson's. And then he did spend some time at RPM. So and, maybe maybe they're... Maybe and sometimes at uh, King of Cups with our old friend, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, I, he's been around, that's I for actually, sure. I met Matt because um, I was picking up some syrups that Danny had made me for a cocktail event. Danny Janky, go back and listen to all the podcasts with him. He's a hoot. Uh, but he made some certs for me. He told me he, he left them at King of Cups, but he actually took them to Brando's, their sister bar. And so Matt was there. He's like, God damn it. Danny always does this. And again, <laughs> but Matt had made like a peach mango syrup. He's like, you can use Ooh. this. It should be pretty good with your whiskey. And it was, and it was great. So, um, yeah. Used to run in college. Who knew? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a really good runner. Yeah. At a D1 school. And he's in Switzerland buying up. Watch is he there right now? No, he's buying whiskey. Buying whiskey, yeah. Buying whiskey in Switzerland. He bought a watch later. Yeah. Well, Interesting guy. We'll let him tell that story uh, on the podcast someday. Yeah, 100%. Very soon, hopefully. Um, but where were we Sherry-wise, gentlemen? Well, I was gonna. I was just going to say, I think... Um, Did you try the... The Moscatel? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I loved it. It's probably my favorite one. I know it's the sweetest one, and it shouldn't be, but... It's so good. It's no, super it. tasty. Do you sit at home and drink Sherry's regularly? I used to. Okay. I, I, I'm a, I mean, I've hit seven and a half years 
So I'm so familiar with them now. It's like, well, you don't really need to taste them. Yeah. Anymore. And I don't know. I don't because we're out all the time. I don't really drink at home unless I have oh, friends yeah. over. Yeah. Um. But yeah, sometimes if like I have a good meal or something, I'm like yeah, I, that needs some manzanilla with it or whatever. It needs some amontillado. I just know if it's like how we you know try whiskey at home. Like you want to like taste this whiskey, see how it compares to other things, or if it's more. You got it. Do you branch out to other brands and try that? I I'm trying to do more of that. Um. Because there's so much variance within the sherry category, and that's yeah. something that really really bit me in the ass when I went to take the master sherry exam back in 2017. Are you a master, master sherry? Uh, I am a master. I am a certified sherry educator. As there I would is. say. Sherry um, educator. A sherry educator. educator. Yes. Very intense, amazing course. Um, you know, a couple days of, you know, coursework and then visiting many bodegas. But as I was visiting the bodegas and trying all these, you know, different sherries, it made me realize, like, I'm, I know my brands too well mm-hmm. because my perception of Amontillado is what we had today, the Amontillado Los Arcos, which I think is a fantastic uh, representation of uh, the category of Amontillado. That being said, I was blown away by the variance in between, uh, you know, just this one particular style of sherry. It's like, well, you know, Barbadillo's Amontillado tastes like their Palo Cortado, I mean, it, it really blew me away, uh, and it made me realize that it's extremely important to try other brands. So even though I do pedal Lustau, I do encourage people to, you know, try other brands because it's it's important for you to really understand the scope of the category. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I've got lost in the brands I've worked for in the past where it becomes this myopic understanding of whiskey through one brand. And that's just not the story of yeah, whiskey. And yeah. it's also not going to help you, I don't no, think. No, not at all. Because uh, yeah, you should know the market, um, what other people are doing out there. If you're someone who's telling the story of whiskey, there's always distilleries that collide to make the larger story come together as one. And it just, I think it's it, to have that factual understanding of what's happening currently in the market as you're working inside of it. It only brings more like more bullets inside your holster, essentially. Yeah, definitely. I think as well. There's so much to be said for understanding a category as well. Like yeah. you know, with I think there's been this thing for so long where so many categories. It was like you know everyone was oh scotch is smoky, tequilas for shots. You know, um, all these things. As Lola comes to sit at the microphone here, um, all these things. You know, it's like to really really understand a category, you do have to broaden your horizons you have yeah. to taste everything yeah absolutely it's it's the only way to really get a f- complete understanding of what's going on i could not agree more well how do you do it with now covering so many different categories of spirits well i think for me now obviously growing up and starting like going out and going to bars and stuff like that when you first go out you're just you're usually drinking at home first right but I think with Aberlauer, when I was working with Aberlauer, I spent so much time in all these different bars, like trying to push Aberlauer. You know, no one's really going to put it on a cocktail menu. You know, I mean, unless you occasionally at the Aberlauer 12 on one, there's one at Baleo. They've got the BM Masabi. Hello, Lula. <laughs> and um, so, like, I got the opportunity to try all of Pernod's different brands. Mm-hmm. And then you do the competitive sets and the tastings and so on. So that's kind of what I do now. And now, honestly, whatever I get my hands on, if someone's like, oh, I've got a sample of something. You know, I saw um, Aaron from Windy City Whiskey recently mm. at the at a Red Breast tasting. And he just gave me a sample. And it was like an 11-year-old rye. And I was like, all right, cool. You know what I mean? I get to just try something else. 
Um, so I think it's just like keeping an open mind. And if you're out long enough and you know the in- people in the industry long enough, you're going to get the opportunity to, um, yes, Lola, I see you. We're going to get the opportunity to try stuff, right? Try new things. Down. Hey, down. But for me, for example. Was my invitation lost to that tasting? Huh? Was my invitation lost to that tasting? I don't know. It was Megan. So you'll need to get on to her. Um, <laughs> but yes. And if Megan, you're listening, then yeah, they just shift the blame onto you. Oh. Um, get Tim on the podcast next time. I was out of town next, uh, anyway, so. Uh, <laughs> But I think like, you know, the reason that I th- I'm so impressed with this is, you know, you, I think people think of, they think of sherry and they think of one flavor, yeah. you know? Right. And again, it's, you can get, you can get everything, as we say back home, everything would get tarred with the same brush, right? Yeah. Like where you just, it's sherry, it tastes like nuts and figs and dates and it's super sweet. But, you know, probably only two, like one and a half of those was sweet, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. The other three were dry. Like a lot drier than I expected. Yeah. You know? Um That's good. Cool. It's very impressive. It's a good very point impressive. of view to have. And I know obviously people aren't tasting along with us or not they tasting at be. home. They could be, I guess. Yeah. They could potentially be. Um if you are, that'd be great support for uh, Steven and all of the house of Lusto. <laughs> but uh it go out there and try certain things. Just, you know, walk yourself through one or two of them and maybe buy from one end of the spectrum to the other from going from the dry to sweetness and see how it works. And then start uh, going back in your collection of whiskeys or other whis- other spirits you might have that um, sherry barrels are used for aging or finishing inside of and see how those taste prof- tasting profiles correlate inside of that spirit. Absolutely. I think that would be really cool is to do... You did know, you guys do that? So we did two... Also. A week and a half ago. Yeah, was that... That also lost in the mail that invitation. I think you were you were actually definitely out that week yeah, in Austin. No, you, I think, right? you left that morning. Come on, don't bully me. <laughs> yeah. But the the that Tuesday night was super interesting. That was actually fun enough at Pigtail, which is below Haleo, and we did so Redbreast has a Lustau hmm. uh, offering, hmm. but I think it's 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 almost exclusively all the Russell casks, right? Yeah, so Redbreast has a Lustau um, partnership. Great, great whiskey. Uh, but we actually had Stephen come in to do to sort of spend some time tasting the sherries with in cocktails with the red breast and there were some really great offerings that night you know yeah um, the first cocktail especially which i think had sherry in it mm-hmm. uh was super special and big taylor big fans of you guys yeah no they've been great to us i mean all of jose andres's spots are you know very good supporters of ours so we happy to continue working with him is that a bad backer to have yeah you know he's pretty good he, you know he's all right i, was, I, know, so he's <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna ask you so obviously in the last you know, decade plus or so uh sherry's become more and more prominent here in the states but a lot of it had for you is based on cocktail programs definitely how do you take these uh sherry's to certain restaurants and start developing cocktails with them Oh, t- typically the you know I, I like to start off with the basics. I think sherry is a great vessel for rediscovering classics. The one that blows everyone away: do a fino sherry daiquiri. Yeah. Uh, actually, if you have some lime juice, we might have to do a manzanilla daiquiri before I leave, just so you can try it because it's one of those. It's like, holy shit, this Where is. Did you get some lime? <laughs> <laughs> Dexter, uh, babe, go out and get limes. <laughs> Make a Benny's trip. Um, a, I mean, low a, as we were talking about earlier, low ABV is trending, so it's great for that because, oh, let's just take these classics and let's use sherry as either an outright substitution or a split base. Mm. Um, but that's the one that really makes people realize, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm missing out on how sherry can be used. Like, do an Oloroso old-fashioned. It's delicious. It's great. No whiskey or rum or spirit required. Just Oloroso, a little sugar. Two ounces. 
the yeah. typical like typical same member same it's delicious members, yeah, hmm. yeah. Or uh, again, do a split base if you you know want to have that you know whiskey in there, which I wouldn't blame you. Yeah, do an ounce of bourbon or rye, uh, ounce of oloroso and bitters and sugar, and it's it's a home run. You've, I'm thinking like yeah, if you did a Scotch old fashion that matured in a ooh, sherry barrel, like a Aberlour Abuna, so it's higher proof on the whiskey, one ounce and then one ounce of the oloroso. Oh, like be that. a home run. Yeah, you've cut your cost down considerably. You've cut the ABV down, uh, you know, pretty much in half. Uh, you have now a more complex drink than you would have had. Um, the guests are probably now going to order two versus one because the ABV is lower. Mm. It's just a it's a win across the board. And so that's usually how I like to start off is let's just take the classics and see how we can plug and play Sherry into them. And then from there, we can start to branch out and work on original creations. Unless I'm going to a place, you know, like you know dead rabbit or clover club i don't even offer suggestions they know what they're doing they don't mm-hmm. want to hear me tell them how to make drinks i'm just there to support and you know make sure they have whatever they need but for accounts that are trying to break into sherry and fortified wine that's usually where i like to start them off and then then it's another conversation of well i always like to play the game what are you sitting on a lot of that you can't get rid of yeah, and yeah. how can i help you get rid of yeah. uh which is a common problem if you ever have owned or run a bar you always run into that like who ordered this uh for me it was someone ordered a case of marie brizard and a set for one of the locations i ran in, in midtown manhattan and i was like this will be here forever. <laughs> Who would order a case of this? And I like anisette. I, you know, I like those flavors, but it's just not something you're ever gonna blow through. <laughs> and so for me, it was like, how can I make this palatable to get rid of it? Put it in a slushie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I always wonder about like you know things like we have in the Perno Ricard portfolio. We have Perno and Ricard. You know the absence, and I'm just like. Sometimes bars have that on the back bar, and I'm like, I wonder how long that's been there for in yeah. the United States. If it's France, I get it. Like, it's going to go like hotcakes. Right. But if if it's in the America, I'm always like, wow, did you just buy one bottle of that, and it's been there for 12 years? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're only doing a spritz in the glass with it, that bottle will last forever. <laughs> yeah, you're washing yeah. glassware yeah. with it yeah. Yeah. before yeah. a cocktail. Like oh, a, man. Yeah. Oh. Maybe a bar spoon, but hey, that's a lot of absinthe in America. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also probably interesting for you, too, with this new crop of bartenders that have emerged since COVID, where there's a lot of green bartenders. Yeah, there's a lot of education. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's one thing that COVID has really been a blessing, but also a blessing and a curse. It's like, well, a lot of young blood that doesn't know a lot, but at the same time, a lot of hungry, you know, enthusiastic, you know, people who want to learn versus, you know, the people who have been doing this forever that don't really care to hear you talk anymore about it you know (laughs) they just want to make their money and go home which i understand that as well i've definitely been there but it's nice that there is this young blood uh you know out there right now that's very enthusiastic so it's a good time for spirits education Hmm. yeah it definitely is i mean it can be frustrating at the same time but yeah well but it's opportunistic absolutely the silver lining it's definitely you know i feel like now more than ever right it feels like education is really one of the keys to building brands and building bars and all that sort of thing you know i think we were just i was having a few conversations during the week there and it's so crazy how many bars are look that's what they're looking for that's the value add they don't want an event they don't want it they just want their staff yeah to yeah. know what they're talking about and to be able to make drinks with it you know which has just come back right that, yeah I, well that's what i'm saying like yeah. for i feel like that was gone for ages because for so long it was like yeah. actually i'm just trying to get my cocktail price down yeah 
uh, because of the pandemic. But now it's kind of coming back where it's like, well, we're making a little bit of money now. And frankly, my staff don't know what they're selling a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So I could really do with, you know, yeah, that educational part. Yeah. I just try to go to my, my local liquor stores or bars that I have in my neighborhood. I go by them weekly just to, cause there's a new person there or whoever know you know might be in the aisle or might be behind the bar and just talk to them about the brands and so much of that just pushing it through and mm-hmm. owners are now appreciative of that where a year ago I think it was kind of like you're taking up my real estate man like it's Thursday night at seven o'clock six o'clock or a Friday night don't come in the bar because um, we need to get those spaces back to the public and make money from the time we lost but yeah. it feels like that our jobs as market managers and ambassadors are starting to kind of come back around to what they be, they were before the pandemic. So that's always optimistic to see, I guess. <laughs> Try to be optimistic. That's just, all we can do. I'm days. just, just tired. <laughs> the tired is good, you know, because there was a period of time where we could not, there was nothing worth tired. Being, uh, I was going to say we didn't have anything to well, do. Well, our, ti- our eyes were tired from looking at Zoom screens. But yeah. just you don't, it, you don't want to do another virtual tasting. I was just telling you at lunch today, and a, a whiskey club emailed me like, "Hey, uh, want to do a virtual tasting?" I'm like, "No, get fucked." Not, <laughs> no offense, but that is not worth my time whatsoever to hang out with twelve people on Zoom for an hour and a half, and maybe one of you go buy a bottle. Right. Maybe <laughs> um, appreciate the support and you asking me, but you can just support me by going to a bar or going to a retailer and ordering my whiskey there. It's probably much more easier and not as, I don't know, odd, I guess, of lack of better terms, sitting on a Zoom screen. You're like, is anybody listening to me? Anybody <laughs> out there? But, I think, you know, looking at these bottles again, I do think it would be great to do them with, with their corresponding whiskeys or like other maybe two or three whiskeys that have been matured in an Oloroso sherry bag yeah. and have the Oloroso on the, on the side. Big glass, the Oloroso, and then little snifters of the, the whiskeys. Well, I know when Woodenville releases that, we can get Alex on, um, Mr. Brick, uh, to have it with the um, Muscatel. Um, we obviously can get, I bet we can maybe get a red breast. Maybe. 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 It's probably one kicking about somewhere. Yeah. But it'd be, it'd be kind of cool to have like two or three or three or four and sit down there and talk about the whiskeys and try it all out and see how it compares and how the distilleries were using the barrels or what they thought they were going to give a tasting profile, maybe how long they thought they were going to barrel age inside of or finish inside of and what it actually came out as the end. I still haven't tried it. The Lafroig finished in the Fino barrel. Mm. I'm like, oh. Is that a Cardress? Yeah, I think so. Which Smoky, year is that? salty. I don't know. It's like three, four years the, ago. It's been out for a while. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure we have two unopened, two unopened bottles of that. Oh, wow. Because uh, the I wonder if there's a trade going through. The, the ex producer doesn't let me open her her bottles of whiskey. So um, <laughs> there's a lot of Beam Centauri products that are unopened ah. back there. Yeah. So it's miss, only a matter of time. Miss those well, days. She cracks. She has, <laughs> she has a, I think a 700 milliliter bottle of one of the very first experimental bottles of little book oh yeah it's probably like the only one out there and just sitting over there unopened no big deal yeah i'm like i hope it's insured yeah it's going, it's going missing today <laughs> yeah yeah it's under the house insurance policy for sure or my life insurance policy <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah no that's what's interesting i think the only question i left to ask um because i know you have dinner tonight i know callum's tired and is Running a marathon or something later this evening? Not running a marathon, but I'm going to run tonight, yeah. Oh, good for you. And the run off that. got to run off that gorgeous muscatel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the gumbo. <laughs> the gumbo. Or the ginormous chicken, fried chicken sandwich I had. Yeah. No, I was going to, which relates to, how do you pair these with food? Uh, so there's an old saying, 
uh, that I always kind of screw up. But it's great, and everyone every time I tell it, there's people, this really famous thing. Can't I'm, I'm about to fuck up. No, um, coming in. So, and this applies to the dry sherries. Um, if it swims away from you, Fino Manzanilla. If it runs away from you, Amontillado Palo Cortado. If it runs towards you, Oloroso. So, seafood obviously home run with Fino Manzanilla. The salty brininess goes really well with any seafood Wait, dish. What? If, so it's, if it swims away, swims away from so you, fishes, fishes, fish, yeah, yeah. Like seafood. seafood, yeah, seafood. My favorite is oysters. Oh, like brine, so, yeah. briny on briny. Works. So it was so funny about saying that. I thought you meant flavor profile. <laughs> so it like swims away from you, so it slowly God. leaves your palate. Yeah. Swimming away, if it immediately leaves your palate, run so, it, like runs away, and if it stays, like, <laughs> sorry, I should have prefaced this uh, is to determine which meat you pair with which dry sherry. I, I think I've, everyone I've, else in the world got that. <laughs> so I failed to leave that out. Um, Things are hard for me, okay? <laughs> so, yeah, swims away, uh, any sort of seafood. Uh, also, chicken, any, you know, works really well. Um, chicken swim, right? Chicken, yeah, they can swim, yeah. They can paddle. Um, <laughs> Is duck considered seafood? Runs away, or in this case, paddles away from you. Amontillado Palo Cortado, so gamier meats, duck, oh, yeah. uh, you know, works really well with Amontillado. And Palo Cortado, and then Oloroso runs towards you. Bison, beef, you know, bigger, or just, elk. Or just run elk. away. Yes, <laughs> moose, moose, exactly. Bear, bear, <laughs> cocaine bear, cocaine, cocaine bear. bear. <laughs> hey guys, if you want to watch Cocaine Bear, I suggest watching it in mute at a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> We're watching it on the TV at uh, Twisted Spoke, and I'm, I'm glad that the the audio is off because it's definitely one that I'm going to have to watch. Yeah. yeah, it's it's worth it. It's very entertaining. Oh, that's a good way of remembering it. So, <laughs> bear runs at you, pull out. Yep. <laughs> Don't pull out a gun. Pull out a bottle of sherry. <laughs> See what happens. Oh, uh, throw it at it real hard. Maybe he'll drink it. Oh man. Well, are we good? Yeah, just it's great to be back. Yeah, it is. you know it's Thank really great to be back. It. Thanks so much. I like we were. It's funny how giddy we got when you said that you'd brought some sherry's when we were at Tasty yeah. and we're like, yeah, yes, we're gonna taste sherry. <laughs> yeah, we, I don't know how long you and I've been talking about. We've been since he was on. Probably. Like, we oh, were just like the first time you came on, we were like, man, it would be so great to walk through some. I think sherry. we were like, why didn't we bring any sherry? <laughs> <laughs> My fault for not asking at all. But uh, and you know, this is only I mean five out of the nine different styles, ooh. so we missed some. Again, I left out px and cream because i feel like that's you know stuff that everyone knows but even within cream there are two styles of cream that you don't see that often a pale cream and a medium cream mm. uh, which are lower sugar content and then the color as well are lighter or like a, a light amber um do you, do you sorry to ask one more question yeah. do you still feel passionate about it after seven and a half years i do it's a fun category um it's always interesting uh you know to see people's reactions i love that there are so many styles it's like oh i don't i don't want that today i'll have this today uh, i feel like there's a sherry for any sort of occasion um which you know in the you know when i used to work for angels envy not that i hated drinking angels envy but you know when you drink whiskey all the time you're like god i just want a freaking beer yeah you know like oh my god tell me about it 
I wish per- I hope Paranormal Carb just buys one beer. Right, I know. Like just so I don't have to go to these events and drink cocktails for four hours. We right. I mean we even created a program in New York called Angels and Ale, a beer and shot special, just so we could like not drink <laughs> whiskey all the same. Yeah. Right. It's like sometimes you you just want something a bit easier. So thankfully with Sherry, it's like, Oh, I don't feel like a cocktail. I just mm. want a Fino. Or it's hot out, I want a Fino and soda. Or yeah, I want to try your jungle bird riff with rum and Palo Cortado. Hell yeah. So I, I'm grateful that I have so many options and so many right. paths to go down. Uh, and yeah, it, it's also just wonderful to pair with foods. That's the other thing that's great about Sherry is you could do a pairing dinner with 20 different dishes and we could find 20 different cherries to, to make huh. it work. Huh. Maybe not within... Well, we could within Lustau. We have over 40 wines, but... You know, uh, you could open up with to all the brands. houses, the Baezes of the Gonzalez Baez of the yeah. world, sort of thing. Yeah. What's the price point on these? I mean, at a liquor store, I would say all of these are twenty bucks a bottle. Right. So a hundred bucks all in, you can do the five that we did. Yeah, today. probably. Yeah. Oh. So if you're listening out there and you, you're interested and you want to kind of wander along with us, then um, maybe you could maybe you could go to your local independent and pick up some some sherry. And not just Lustau, but I mean, just in general, sherry, bang for your buck, really hard to beat. I mean, these wines have been aging in some cases 12, 20, 30 years. Um, you know, you're encountering flavors you don't really encounter anywhere else. Yeah, it's like you say as well, some of those, some of the wines in those Saleras are 100 years old. Yeah, now. and it's like this is 20 bucks a bottle yeah, or less, cool. you know, so it's like bang for your buck. It's really hard to beat sherry. It's awesome. Cool jersey you have on. Thanks. I'm from Athletic. I'm on the pass. <laughs> tool. Uh, any last comments, Calm? No, just like I say, great, great to be back. Thank you. Thank, thanks again. Did Steve. you go somewhere? <laughs> no, just we. You know, it was. I know this one's been on the cards for a while, but it's good to come back with a bang. Absolutely. Are you going to be co-hosting more consistently these days? I mean, probably not because of my job. But oh, you know, I don't. I, I love. I love. I love coming on, and I think. Um, Especially when we've got like, as long as guests aren't bailing, but it was nice of you to, and you even drove Jake, Jake up here. So that was great. Cool. It is my pleasure. In yeah, any time, I would be happy to come back and, and do cool. that uh, sherry and whiskey. That would be great. I think that or something along with like cocktails or like incorporating it with other spirits that it's involved in, um, just kind of showing the versatility of it. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. That would be it. Maybe, maybe Callum can figure that out. Let's line that up. I think we should do that at a bar somewhere. Redbreast would do. At a bar. Yeah, we go to the Red Breast Bar. Where is that? My house. Okay. <laughs> I don't like your house. Neither do I. <laughs> it's a bit lopsided. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Literally. It's on a slant. Oh, well, gentlemen, appreciate you coming over to my house on a cool March Friday evening as we go into the third weekend of St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Everybody out Thank there, you. you know what? Take care of yourself. Oh, that's right. Be well. Sherry up. Sherry up. Is that a thing? No, or, I'm, it's not. Or as we like to say, stay fortified. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm sure all of your brackets are busted. I'm sure Scott will lose tomorrow. But keep your heads up out there, America, because guess what? USA is on the rise. <laughs> cheers. 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 <laughs>